Marching in silence and cheering on, San Lorenzo, welcome to Hand of Pod 178. Seventy-eighth episode of Hand of Pod, and we are recording it during San Lorenzo's decisive Copa Libertadores group stage match. It's um, not quite must-win, mathematically speaking, but it is really. Um, they are at home to San Paolo, and they're kicking off in a few minutes' time as we record. Actually, they should be kicking off now, but they're still on the pitch warming up, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I think uh, Red and San Paolo are late arriving. Oh, there we are. Uh, you have just heard the voice of Peter Coates. Welcome, Peter. Hello. Welcome. Welcoming it to you to your own <laughs> living room, um, as I sometimes do. And also joined this week, as usual, by Andres Bruckner. Andres, hello. Hello. Um, we have quite a weekend to get through, but as usual, we're going to start off by reading out the results from the weekend just gone in the league. There has, of course, been no Copa Libertadores action since we last spoke, has there? Because there wasn't any last week, was there? No. No, there was no Copa Libertadores, no Champions League, no Europa League, no FIFA matches. Of course, that's why there wasn't, yeah, I was forgetting. Was, it, was there Copa Argentina since we last talked? Yes. Was that last Thursday? So, round of 32, I think, but they made... Defensa Justicia beat Andino 3-0, and uh, somebody beat somebody in the Primera beat uh, Defensores de Belgrano de Villa Ramacho, who are not the Defensores de Belgrano that Santi supports, but... Ah. No, not defensive, uh, from Buenos Aires, but from... No, from, from the other one, uh, who have one of the finest badges of any club in Argentine football. Banfield defeat, I think that we mentioned that they will, they will, they will go in to play against South America, not the Paraguayan side, but from, from here also, and they defeat 1-0. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago, though. I'm trying to, I think it might have been Atletico Rafaela beat... Um, Defensores de Belgrano de Villarraba. It's a very long name to keep repeating, so I'm going to stop doing it now. Uh, let's just check the Copa Argentina website. It's not very often that you'll find a podcast that treats the Copa Argentina this seriously, uh, but we like to do things a bit differently here. Nueva Chicago, that was it. They beat Defensores de Belgrano de Villarraba, show 2-1. Um, and then Defensa Justicia beat Andino 3-0, uh, both last Thursday. Congratulations to those two teams. They joined Tempele and Banfield, as Andres has already said, in the last 32, <laughs> the, the 16th of final, um, as the uh, Spanish language would have it. And in the league on Friday, we had the following. Quilmes nil, Sarmiento 4. don't think anybody saw that coming. Rosario Central 1, Colón 1. On Saturday, it was Olimpo nil, Atletico de Rafaela nil. Banfield 1, Huracán nil. Godoy Cruz 2, Independiente 2, pretty much everybody saw that coming. Uh, San Lorenzo 4, Lanús 0, and Crucero del Norte 1, Temperle 0. On Sunday, the matches went Belgrano de Córdoba 2, Newell's Old Boys 0, Racing Club 2, San Martín de San Juan 0, Boca Juniors 3, Estudiantes de la Plata 0, Unión de Santa Fe 1, Vélez Sarsfield 0, and Gimnasia Grima la Plata 2, River Plate 3. On Monday, we had 
two and a third of the match. Uh, Arsenal versus Aldo Sibi was a six o'clock kickoff, and it was called off for reasons that we will no doubt be talking about in a minute, um, with Aldo Sibi leading 1-0 after 30 minutes. The two matches that did take place uh, were Tigre against Defensa Justicia, which finished 0-0, and Argentinos Juniors against Nueva Chicago, which somehow finished 1-1, rather than about 3-1 to Argentinos. Um, gentlemen, I suppose, as I've just identified, we've got to start with the nonsense at Aldo, uh, Arsenal, um, or rather in Sarandí, I should say, because Arsenal isn't a place. Um, what happened, Peter? I've been talking and I've got a sore throat, so one of you introduce uh, what's, what's been going on. Oh, hang on. Wait, before you do, Andres, I've just remembered at this point, of course, that we are sponsored um, by the Argentina Independent. They, they pay for our booze each week, so thank you very much to them. They are a fine source of English language news, current affairs, cultural stuff, and lots of other things. Um, anything that you want to know from Argentina and from across Latin America, all in English, so you don't have to learn Spanish uh, to read them. They're available at argentinaindependent.com. And now we can now continue. Gentlemen, one of you please tell us what happened um, inside and outside Arsenal de Sarandí Stadium. Well, um, (laughs) we have already talked about this several times. I I think that almost every episode we, we end up talking about a riot or something that has to do with with uh, something thrown from the from the crowd to the to the to the beach and to put that into context, of course, two of this weekend just gone to matches were played behind closed doors. Um, yes, but in this case, was what what was hilarious was the number of three, sorry. of okay. officers that were uh, busy on the on the, on the to take care of the match. Um, with 1,000 supporters, I think, from Arsenal. So it was uh, an officer per three, every three supporters, which is enormous <coughs> amount of, of officers uh, who weren't able to prevent from uh, barabravas or well, I don't know how to how to call them barabravas if they were normal people or or, or what, but they just broke a, 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 a cab from from the from the policeman and another officer was was uh, was hurt so they had of course to suspend the match which was I think one of the first matches suspended because of this kind of, of, of situations uh, the the capo of Arsenal's Barabraba and before I continue actually I'll just say that we're legally obliged um, to to make the joke that when Andres says that there's an officer for every three supporters, that means there are about three police officers or something in the game. Let's get the humour out of the way quickly. Um, the capo of Arsenal's Barra Brava apparently was given the derecho de admisión, which means the opposite of what it actually means. Bizarrely, it means he wasn't allowed in. Um, and when the police refused to let him in, apparently the Barra kicked off, and that was what happened. Um, very ugly scenes. The game is going to be... They're going to decide when to complete the game on Tuesday next week, is when the Afro are going to be announcing that. They're not people to take a decision too quickly, as we already knew. But, of course, with Easter weekend um, coming up, that's going to slow it down even more, because Thursday is, is a holiday in Argentina um, for... The Poland. Partly religious reasons and partly for something else. Um, and then Friday's Good Friday, and then Easter Monday. I think everybody has Easter Monday off as well, don't they? No, I, no, I no, don't, but Not here. No, it's oh, no, okay. Friday. Yeah. Good. Well, I don't have to feel quite as bad about the fact that not nothing's a holiday for me anyway. Um, in summary, then, naughty people at Arsenal. 
Is anything going to happen to them? One yes, gate behind closed doors. There was no I guarantee that will be the. Uh, <laughs> which behind closed doors for ourselves is probably the most pointless uh, <laughs> punishment ever. Well done, Peter, getting in with them, the jokes again. Um, they are going to have to play what's left of the match against Dundas City behind closed doors as well. Uh, so they've got their next home game and then whenever this, uh, the rest of this game's finished. Uh, the, the remaining hour, which will be played in two 30-minute halves, as is the way in Argentina. Never quite understand that, but there you are. Should point out at this point that San Lorenzo has been on the pitch now for five minutes and done their team photo, and some um, Paulo still are coming up. Yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Welcome to the Copa Libertadores. Um, other talking points from the weekend. Um, Apart from uh, talking about the. the Problems uh, involving well, match suspensions or Barra uh, Bravas, uh, uh, whatever. There was an, an Union supporter that, uh, apparently, because he was celebrating Union victory against Vélez, and, and a Colón Barra Brava killed him, but not because of, of problems between. Union and, and Colón Barras. Are you, are you sure about this? Because it was reported initially that, and since then they've been reporting that it was a Colón Barra who was attacked as no. part of the Colón Interna and that there were no Union fans around. And nobody, I mean, it seems very confusing. It was definitely an Union fan, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Killed by a Colón supporter, what was thought at first time was that the, it was a, a, a Barras clash. But then they said that the, it was a personal affair, not having to do with, with Barra Bravas and, and, and that stuff. But it was, I, as, as far as I am concerned, it was an Union supporter died by killed by, by, by a colonel one. Oh. It's all very confusing. Somebody died anyway. As did uh, the... Another a Colón fan did die as well because somebody fell from part of the stand apparently at Boca about two and a half weeks ago. Sorry, at Colón when they were at home to Boca, um, and he died of his injuries in hospital today after about two and a half weeks of fighting. Of course, that adds to the San Lorenzo fan that, that you just remembered, Andres. Yes. Um, so yes, lots of uh, sad things going on in Argentine football this weekend but let's try and find something happy to talk about there are plenty of goals again yeah I think um, maybe a good starting point would be San Lorenzo's victory over Lanús considering they went back to the uh, back to the top of the table and they went to the top of the table while. yeah well no they went back to the top of the table for the first time since they won the title right, I think yeah. uh, which was just over a year ago um, pardon me <coughs> With, uh, I was surprised, I must say, partly because I thought they were going to be focusing mostly on this match that we're still waiting to, to kick off at the moment, um, and partly because Lanús, who you know not been in bad form early in the season, um, that San Lorenzo got an offside goal to start things off from Mauro Matos. It was a very good goal, but it was offside, uh, and that was the one thing that Lanús really afterwards were, were concentrating on, the fact that the first goal was offside rather than the fact that Lanús didn't play very well. Conceded another three goals after that. Um, it's not like Scalotta's uh, side to complain about. No, I mean, we've mentioned it before, but I think it does shoot Lanús in the foot at times, right? They, yeah. they, they seem to have such a chip on their shoulder over it. Well, it's very difficult, I think, to instil discipline in your side when you yourself as a manager get sent off about five times a season. Mm. And that's concerned at best, man. 
but <laughs> what is strange in this in this cut in this case in this match was what was the result at halftime? San Lorenzo won, Lanús nil. Yes, it was one nil to San Lorenzo at halftime. Yeah. What is strange in, then in this case is that Caruso was sent off for San Lorenzo at the first half, so Lanús had one more man man than, than San Lorenzo during the entire second half, and they conceded three more goals, having one more man. So it's mm. that is a curious thing because well they they were like not with no no strength no no strength. To 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 uh, turn around the, the the result as if they knew they had known that they were going to to lose that match, uh, not with no strength, with no willing to fight for for the result. Because you end up one nil the first half, then you have uh, the, your rival has ten men because Caruso wasn't off a defender, uh, and you can't uh, even score a single goal, and they and you concede three more. We often hear that it's more difficult to yeah. play against ten men, but well, but that's not true. Normally, <laughs> it's just an excuse when managers and their teams fail to capitalise. In my opinion, um, I, also think, I also think not, more, oh. normally if you're going to use that old adage that it would be more, it's more difficult to break the opponents down, given that they then retreat into their shells slightly more. Mm. You don't then concede another three guards. <laughs> no, no, indeed. Yes. Um, but you can say well, it's more difficult. You can't enter to the to the to your rivals' box because they they have they 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 are nine men plus the goalkeeper in the box, and you can't uh, enter with crosses nor well. Uh, but yes, as you said, concede three more. So it's it's hard to explain for for Lanús, uh, I think. If you can hear any clicking in the background, I apologise. I'm trying to type as quietly as possible. Uh, to tweet the situation to my followers in the Copa Libertadores match and um, it's a, a difficult keyboard to type quietly on partly because the microphone's next to it and it's a very sensitive microphone um, however we did have other results in fact San Lorenzo first of all before we move on to the other results San Lorenzo top of the league they have won every match apart from one of them which they rather surprisingly lost to one at home to San Martin um, but deserve leaders so far would you say? They've kind of sneaked up on everyone. Well, they've sneaked up on me after that San Martin result. And having won matches where they haven't really looked particularly good, and, and we've tended to focus on certainly the pods I've been on after they've won, on how poor the um, the, opera- the opposition have been. Um, so it's it's somewhat surprising, but then again, they, they said they've won every game bar one, so maybe it's time to start taking them seriously once again. Yeah, when everyone thought or, or expected Boca to be the, the leaders, in this case, Lorenzo is by one point the, the, the top of the league. Yes, and they are one point top of the league because Rosario Central, for the second time um, in well, in as many matches, uh, drops points against a team who were twenty somethings in the league. Uh, well, actually, the team they dropped points to the week before were 30th in the league. Uh, Colombo about 26th or 27th. And there was a 1-1 draw in the Gigante del Arrochito um, with Brian Romero giving Colón the lead very early on, nine minutes in, and Marco Ruben um, equalising just a couple of minutes later from the penalty spot. And Central really were on top, I thought, throughout most of the rest of that match, but just couldn't find the winner. 
And that was a bit of a theme generally over the weekend, as we'll, we'll get to. But what's what's happened to Central? Do you think they're falling to bits? Do you think they're just this was inevitable at some point because they started fantastically? They're still unbeaten. It's worth pointing out. Apart from those two draws, they've won all their other matches. So it's not as if they're crisis all of a sudden. But I, I heard Coglete, Eduardo Coglete, coach of, of Rosario Central, uh, saying what for me is more an excuse than than, than a real explanation of, of what happened to them as they they had won first five matches then drew the following two and he said that the that the team is not prepared to be there on top that they they have a young team plus Cesar Delgado who didn't start the match against Colón um, Villagra Cristian Villagra who is back to, to Rosario and Marco Ruben who is at, at this point Rosario Central is the club Atlético Marco Ruben more or less because he's scoring all of the of the goals for, for, for the team what's happened to Franco Servi started the season so well were we getting questions about him a week or two ago but what I heard about him is that he has guts he of course has good good ability he plays well but, but the, the most important feature or thing about him is that he has guts that mm. he plays that he wants the ball to be played uh, uh, he's not has no fear that he's has personality well, but uh, he, he must be play must be surrounded by 10 more men or nine because the goalkeeper doesn't play in the midfield and well uh, perhaps uh, the people or or or, or, or central supporters because in Rosario is as, as, as most uh, uh, listeners might know Rosario is divided by two is New Old Soul Boys or Rosario Central is supporters are, are, are divided that way and, and perhaps half of the city half Rosario uh, are were like with a lot of expectations about Rosario Central being the, the leaders but well uh, um, it's possible that for young players is big pressure or big uh, situation to be there and look at the table and and see that they are the, the first ones. More goals. Uh, Sarmiento did, did quite well. Gas, Gaspar, no, Gerasio Nunez uh, scored twice in their 4-0 win away to Quilmes. And Quilmes, uh, we sort of said earlier in the season, it started understatedly but quite well. And all of a sudden, they've, I think, four games without a win. They've lost two of the last four, if I'm remembering rightly. Um, and after that defeat at home, it's really worrying. Oh, they haven't lost two of the last four, so I'm thinking of somebody else. They've lost uh, one of the last two... There are two matches without a win. Um, but th- there's talk of crisis and Falcioni hanging on again, just as there was just before they beat Valle Sarsfield, they must be said, um, in the fifth round. Um, what's happened, particularly with Sarmiento, because I wasn't expecting Sarmiento to go 4 0 win away from home for the first win of the season. Um, what, what clicked? What changed in them? I think we were talking about Sarmiento being a bit more uh, a solid team than, than they were at the first or second uh, round. First one, they had to play with River, losing one four. But uh, at, at one point, they were they were uh, one goal difference uh, with River because they were two nil and then scored the the two one. Um, and they, they have been improving a bit and Kilmes is the same crap 
that far, uh, that began the, the, the tournament. Uh, I think that. Uh, so you weren't buying into this understated decency of Gilles' uh, start to the season, then, Andres? No, no, I don't think so. I, 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 I imagine Gilles, no, no, having, 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 uh, or not watching a, a game from them, and I imagine a team that is not no solid team because they have a brand new team uh, more or less they have a lot of new players and apparently they haven't still found a way to to convert that into a, into a team uh, new players but not still a, 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 a built a real team and, and, and Sarmiento as all, all of the newly promoted teams they have the same base that they had on the Primera B Nacional of course, not having the possibility to, to sign new players because they have no money. Speaking of teams that don't look like real teams, Vélez Sarsfield lost 1-0 away to Union um, and generally just look pretty poor as they have done for most of the season. They don't, I mean, the media are dressing this up as, oh, they're missing Lucas Prato, but I think there's something more to it than that because they're not functioning really particularly well in anything um, but it was Union's first win of the season so congratulations I think it was Union's first win of the season wasn't it? Mm. No uh, yes, yes because they, they uh, second, second win of the season yeah. you're quite right yeah, they won five their first game won their first game through the next five and then managed another win yes they won against um, uh, Rakan I think yes um, but well done Union for getting back to winning ways um, I think um, we've probably said before that Union and uh, Sarmiento are two of the newly promoted sides that at least have, um, have come into the top flight and actually put together some performances and, and, and some decent results and the, the, two, the difference between those two is that they do have goals in them and you look at the Union side and the, there's like Lucas Gamba Malcorra Malcorra yeah and yes. the, there's people there who are scoring goals in it and the same with Sarmiento is in stark contrast to um the weaker side, shall we say, from the ten that came up, who every week you kind of look at their team and, they, and really struggle with to see. They combine going. offensively <laughs> talking. They combine a player like Riverio that we we talked about him. Had experience. He played uh, with Caruso Lombardi at Argentinos previously when they were on, on first division before they went to the Primera B Nacional. And well, in this case, he went. He has been sent off because of a. Elbowing Cubero. Uh, um, Fabian Cubero, yeah. So you can kind of understand why he wanted to elbow because it's Cubero, but um, his experience maybe let him down a bit. Um, Sarmiento are 15th in the table, but they are a point, yes, a point and a position above Vélez, um, who after winning their first two games haven't won since. Pretty much what we said at the time, really, that their first two games were both at home, both against quite weak teams. It was Crusoe del Marte in the second leg of the round and somebody else, I can't remember who in the first. Um, could well have been Alba Sevilla um, and yeah so there was no real surprise when the form went downhill a bit uh, let's get on to the big five we've already talked about San Lorenzo we may as well begin with um, certainly one of the more entertaining matches of the weekend actually two of the more entertaining matches of the weekend featured big five sides but we're going to talk first of all about Godoy Cruz versus Independiente you knew this was coming Peter um, it couldn't possibly have been two clean sheets in a row could it? No of course not and so they decided to basically just, at one point, particularly generously defended, uh, just give away a penalty to um, yeah, which even I think things up a bit. Which, remarkably, I think is the fourth 
penalty conceded in seven matches. Is it? Yeah. Um, which tells us, you know, all you need to know about the defence at the moment. Um, to be honest, the amount of times that I come on here now, you could probably go back, cut what I said about a previous independent end of the game and just paste it into this to this podcast. Who gave away, who gave away the penalty this time? Uh, Jesus Mendes. That was right, yes. Tripping uh, Juan Alicetti, I think it was, wasn't it? The left winger who wears number three, which is a bit weird, but we'll let him off. Um, this was after Claudio Riano opened the scoring in the first minute as well. It started so promisingly. Yeah, and, and, and Riano as well, I think, is seeing something of a renaissance in, in the last couple of games anyway. I mean, he's looked fairly at odds really since since signing for Independiente, but the last two games has looked um, pretty sharp and, and up to speed with the rest of the team. And his, and his goal, as you said in the first minute, was, was very good. It was, yeah, it wasn't just earlier, but it was, a, it was a very nice goal as well. Is this kind of, does this prove that you're not maybe, uh, we'll talk about exactly why you were missing him um, a bit later on in the podcast, of course, but does this prove that you're not relying quite so much on Federico Macquesha all of a sudden? Because he wasn't in the team for this one. No, I mean... He still scored. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we obviously miss Manquesho hugely when he isn't playing. Um, and, I, and I think Independiente, like the vast majority of teams in the Premier are, are reliant on one or two individuals. And if you took them out of the side, then they'd struggle. I mean, we've seen Racing struggle, minus Melito, and, and, and maybe River and and Boca are the only two that you might say you could take an individual out of the side and they'd still <laughs> they'd still cope. Um, Independiente struggle for sure when Manquesha is missing. It's funny that you say that about River because it's a quite nice way of tying in. I was going to say that River, uh, looking at times, almost like they're relying on Rodrigo Mora um, at the moment. They, their match against Ignacio was obviously it's easy to say this from a River supporting point of view when they went three two. Um, but possibly from a neutral point of view as well might have been one of the more entertaining ones of the, the round if not the most entertaining match um, River went 2-0 up they were 2-0 up at half time and they deserved the lead I thought it was one of the better performances than one of the more convinced performances they've managed um, but they gave that away and were pegged back to 2-2 with 19 minutes to go uh, goals from Maxi Coronel and Ignacio Fernandez uh, from Ignacio Ignacio Fernandez as well was really good low free kick um, before Moira popped up from the corner and, and won it 3-2 with a couple of minutes to go um, it's the second win in a row for Ripper but it's not quite as confident as you'd like to be is it Andres? No the, uh, apart from that it looks like they are recovering more or less pers the personality they had Last year, when they they they, they were uh, strong enough to, to finally end winning the match, because it was a, a, at the first half was a, an easy uh, match to win because Gimnasia was very very poor defensively talking, and River couldn't take advantage or serious advantage about the, about it because um, uh, two of the, the the two the first two goals for River were. Uh, uh, Produced by a very, very silly rebound, rebound by by Navarro, the gimnasia goalkeeper, and then it's like in the second half something that has been happening to, to the team in the last last matches. They they finally give the the the, the opponent the, the the 
the ball and, and, the, and the field to, 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 to attack them. And well, Gimnasia perhaps will say disturbing the, 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 the partial draw or not, they finally got the, 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 the two goals to, to, to draw the match. And at the very first, very <coughs> uh, late minutes, finally Rodrigo Mora achieved the, the, third, the third goal. Again, by a poor defensive play by, by Gimnasia. Uh, but yes, it's not the, the, the sensation is that they depend too much about uh, on, on Mora, who is uh, the last match is saving, saving the, the, or scoring most, most of the goals, with Teo Gutierrez in this case being not able to play because he was with Colombia national team. Yeah, but also, Teo's not really been playing well enough anyway, has he? No, no. Uh, I mean, one of the stats that I saw tweeted yesterday was that of all of River's current forward line, the one who's got the best goals per minute ratio is uh, since the start of the Torneo de Transición, I think this was. So this is, you know, the 2014-15 season, if there was such a thing so far. It's Fernando Cabanaki, um, who scored the opener for River, as, as Andres says, a rebound from Nicolás Navarro, who, it must be said, is no Fernando Monetti in Gimnasia's goal. They're missing Monetti enormously now that he's gone to Manus, as we predicted they would, by the way. Um, I think Cabanaki should be starting ahead of tail on current form. Um, yes, Kavinagi um, was was a bit was criticized by supporters in order of because he, he was a bit like slow uh, with no uh, his best physical form because he's fat he needs to lose some weight basically but, he's, but he's scoring goals I, I think he's no fat he um, has some problem with his uh, physical form but not being fat is he's slow anyway. Well, he ha he achieved to score because he was at the place he had to, to be exactly, when yeah. when Navarro uh, didn't uh, grab the ball properly. Uh, well, yes, uh, he he did what he had to do, uh, and that is good for him because it was mentioned last week that he could he he himself said that uh, he will see what happens in, in June when uh, uh, the season ends. Not this. Not Argentinian no. season. When, when the season goes on a break. Yes, uh, with the break for Copa America, uh, he will he will see if he continues at River because he was not have he wasn't having uh, the minutes of action he would like to to have. Hmm. Uh, in this case, well, we will see if he uh, continues in the team or yes. I think that 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 goal is very useful for for him, not for Gallardo who would have big doubts in order to, to introduce him into the team or to leave um, Teo Tierres who, who, who didn't have a lot of action for Colombia against Kuwait and I don't remember the other... Uh, Bahrain, I think. Yes. If I remember rightly, I didn't see either of the matches, but I think it was Bahrain. Um, I think at this rate, at the, at the break, River would be most keen to cash in on Teo, wouldn't they? I, I think they should have done it over the summer. But I mean, if they get the opportunity to do so... But yeah, I, I doubt anyone's going to come in for him. <laughs> was plummets in form he's had, but... Um, was good. Definitely, yeah, if they can get money for him, I thought they would be happy. There was a good uh, sensation on uh, Lucas Boucher, who hasn't... Previously hasn't had a, a good uh, a role on the team, or, or, mm -hmm. or a main role on the team, and when he 
went into the match against Gimnasia, had a, a magnificent play that couldn't finish in goal uh, on, on, in the net, and uh, another shot that was uh, cleared by, by Navarro, and after that play came the corner kick from where uh, Mora scored the, the third goal for River. So yeah. uh, uh, we are we are like uh, have expectation expectation about the kids or the young players or the players that haven't been very uh, used by Ajardo, for example Kaprov who scored a magnificent goal at the friendly against Sevilla. It was and a very good finish, but I'm trying not to mention that friendly. It was so <laughs> yes. pointless. Well, it, it was a... a we're, we're not doing this through partisanship, by the way. River won the game 1-0, but, I mean, just okay. what's the point? So it was I mean, a very, very good finish, though, you're quite right. I, I mean, that, is, that was talked by, by him, by Ashardo, by the, the proper Kaprov, <laughs> that it was necessary for him to gain confidence. So we have to see if Boche, Kaprov, Solari, Simeone are... At their at their position to have a main role of the team. Indeed, and now away from River and onto another of the big five, the reigning champions of Argentina, Racing, who got a two 0 win over San Martín. Um, I don't really think there's very much to say about them though, because San Martín offered very little resistance. Racing were two 0 up at half time. Goals from surprise, surprise, Gustavo Ball and Diego Milito, um, and then just sort of wanted to counter really. They? went to walking pace in the second half, didn't bother tiring themselves out too much. Anything to add to that? No. No? Soon Well, in a league of um, unpredictable results, this that was, was um, more predictable. This was Racing with Melito against a sort of weak side. Yes, I have a feeling that San Martin have lost all four of their away games so far this season. Let's, um, let's make a deal. Uh, Peter talks about Racing and I talk about Boca. Well, I don't think I need to say anything more. <laughs> oh, they haven't, sorry. San Martín have not lost all of their away games so far this season. They've won one of them, of course, against San Lorenzo, as we mentioned earlier. I'm thinking, again, of somebody else. Um, but now let's move on to Boca Juniors, because their 3-0 win over Estudiantes uh, was one of the best performances that we have seen from them. Certainly one of the most comfortable performances we've seen from them. They're in their home stadium in the league so far this season. They've made a bit of a habit so far of winning at home even though they look thoroughly second best in parts whereas there really wasn't much denying that they were by far the better team but it was as much to do with Estudiantes being completely and totally awful um, as it was to do with Boca actually being good two goals in two minutes from Cristiano Herbes and Daniel Osvaldo towards the end of the first half and then a third from uh, Federico is it Federico no, Cristaldo? Franco Franco, Franco Franco Cristaldo thank you is he related to Jonathan do we know? Not that I'm aware of. No. no? Just coincidence. Lovely. Um, he scored the third, anyway, for Boca. Um, and, as we say, most of it was just Estudiantes being really bad, by which we mean that by the time Cristaldo scored that third goal, Estudiantes were down to nine men, um, with uh, Matias Aguirre-Garay and Carlos Auski both having been sent off. Estudiantes are normally a fairly competent side, at least, even when they're looking, you know, fairly disappointing in terms of a title challenge or whatever. So what, why did they just go to level one air and fall to pieces? Yeah, well, that's the thing. They did sort of fall to pieces because prior, prior to Herbes um, scoring, they were, they were well in the game. And I think uh, Diego Vera had a header which came back off the inside of the post. Um, yeah. 
very unlucky not to put them in, not to put them in front. But the, the goal and then I guess the sucker punch being that Osnaldo scored the second straight away after. So the sucker punch being that the second went in, or the second punch being that it was Osvaldo who scored it. Well, <laughs> I'm asking partly for obviously having the pot taking the piss out of Osvaldo reasons, but also because uh, one of the main headlines, or one well, the main headline that came out of this match. Um, was Daniel Osvaldo offering uh, Estudiantes centre-back Leandro de Sabato some grass to eat and calling him a donkey. Um, this was something that made headlines all over the world. I'm depressed to report, but we have to mention it at least so that I can possibly stick it in the headline and uh, get some listens to the podcast. Um, we have a question about Daniel Osvaldo later on, and in our new expanded listener question section, listeners question section um, we will address it. But just very briefly, is there a bigger dickhead in Argentine football at the moment? Every quote? <laughs> a bigger dickhead. Well, I don't know what... Uh, in, what I have to say about that, that match is, is that Osvaldo has some particular or, or, or not a, a very good behaviour, but in this case, when whenever I scored the first goal, um, I think Damonte was... Uh, trying to, to I know hit or, or, or something to Osvaldo because they had some some previous situation so, there. Damonte claimed after the match that Osvaldo had been going on to all the Estudiantes players either in the tunnel or on the pitch before the game about how he was far richer than them because he played in Europe um, and that he'd apparently said to one of the Estudiantes players that he was going to buy their mother so that she could be his maid. Which is exactly the kind of you know charm that we expect from Daniel Osvaldo by now. But also, so. he also tried to see the watch the the the, the T-shirt of of the South and Osvaldo to and and Damonte to to see uh, their their surnames because he didn't know them. <laughs> uh, but what I, yes, as I heard, the problem is that Osvaldo after that uh, after that situation scored the, the goal he. He had the opportunity to score and he did it. So in this case, well, he he was like uh, not very polite and or whatever. But after that, he scored, and and the Sabato was like uh, saying Osvaldo, take care of your girlfriend and and I know what 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 else and and that that's when Osvaldo offers grass to to him to to, to eat. Um, but I think that that. Put experienced players out of the game, and the other on the other hand, Osvaldo was is he's, he's, he's natural at, at that at that uh, situations. He's not a it's not something that he had never did. No, uh, de Sabato, in the interest of fairness, which should point out has some history as well. There was a one rumor in particular that after Diego Bonanotte came back um, from the accident that he suffered before we recorded Hand of Pod. Um, um, just under a year before we started, in fact, Buonanotte um, was involved when he was driving the car and it flipped and killed three of his best friends. Um, and De Sabato apparently called Buonanotte a murderer. De Sabato has always denied saying this, but this was the story that, that went he, he admitted another situation with Ortega when, when Ortega had alcohol problems and, and he called Ortega a drunk man. Uh, and he admitted that and he said he was wrong that's, that's not the most controversial statement in the world it must be said but he admitted the, the, the part uh, in which he was accused of, of, of telling of saying when I'm not a murderer 
he he said he didn't. So mm. and he was trying to communicate to to, to one another just to to, to 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 know what one another thought. But well, apart from apart from that, Boca was uh, uh, much better than Estudiantes with with even with no Gago and Lodeiro, Gago injured and Lodeiro with Uruguayan national team, and everyone was thinking on the team how. Or, or how they will, how would they play with no with the two of their best men so far? <coughs> Indeed, um, those results, as we already said, leave San Lorenzo top of the pile with 18 points, and Boca um, uh, joint second along with Rosario Central. Boca actually ahead on goal difference, um, but they have 17 points. River, for all of the talk of crisis, and oh, aren't they? rubbish and everything, are fourth with 15 points, so three behind San Lorenzo, and this coming weekend they play San Lorenzo. Um, we have now been recording for, uh, it's a bit confusing because we have to stop recording at one point and then we had a bit of a gap when Peter's girlfriend came in a few minutes ago that I'll cut so the listeners didn't realise that it happened. Um, but we've been recording for an amount of time anyway, and I think we've covered most of the main talking points from the first... I think if we uh, just, because we've slagged them off every week... We should mention that Crucero del Norte won. Yes, Crucero del Norte <laughs> won a match. Congratulations to Crucero del Norte. They, they won, only won, they they won so at it's... home on their specially illegally long pitch against Tempele. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's probably the only time they're going to win this season. So I think possibly. we should make a point of saying well done. Fabio Vasquez, who, depending on which newspaper you read, may or may not spell Fabio with a B or a V, because some of the newspapers appear to be illiterate in this Um scored the only goal of the game 25 minutes in. I did not see any of the match, I've not even seen the goal yet. But. Me neither, but I said, I think two or three episodes before, that Corsellante will be the first relegated team, and I keep saying that. There, there will be four teams relegated, right? Two. Two? At the end of this year? Oh, sorry, two. yes. Two and four uh, promoted. Yes, no. No. At the end of this year, it's two up and two down. And then halfway through 2016, after oh, the next transition, oh. then it's four down and two up. Well, if, if it's not the first time, the second one, I think, Rosario Norte will, will be back to Primera B Nacional because they, yes, they, they won against Tampa Bay team which had started good winning against Banfield and then was fall, fell into pieces. And <coughs> so that is no parameter to, to say, to measure. No, they're probably a very strong candidate yes. to join Rosario Norte. Yes. Going back down. Absolutely. But still, they preserve on day one, so... The current promedios have the relegation spots, and it is worth talking about these, of course, because we are most of the way into the campaign for some of these teams, uh, but both the relegation spots are currently occupied by teams who are newly promoted. They are Nueva Chicago and Colón. Um, Tempele are third bottom, and Cruzero del Norte are fourth bottom um, at present. So there you go. But in the league, as we say, River are fourth, three behind San Lorenzo, hosting San Lorenzo this weekend, and then Banfield... Um, and Belgrano are both on 13 points um, before we get to Independiente and Racing and Lanús and Tigre on 12 and that's the top 10 that's Ch the first third of the league so. Ch Chicago is a team which uh, has uh, their coach position vacant so if you want to oh you're quite right yeah Chicago drew 1-1 against Argentinos Juniors and as I said uh, when we mentioned the scores Argentinos really should have won that match they were a far better team um Chicago decided to sack the manager afterwards. Omar Labruna is now without a job. 
I'm not quite sure what Nueva Chicago's board were expecting Omar Labruna to do in the Primera. Three draws and four defeats is what they've got so far. Sorry, no, three draws and... Yes, three draws and four defeats. Um, and that sounds about right to me, given the teams they can play. Why are they firing him? I saw a phenomenal stat tweeted after this happened that said that in Chicago's three um, spells in the Primera this century, which were 2000, 2001, 2006, seven or something around there, and then obviously this next one, the average length of time that a manager has managed Nueva Chicago for in the first division is 10 matches. They've got through one manager every 10 games in the Primera, which is phenomenal. Why do they do it? Is there any good reason at all? Well, it's obviously not worked, so <laughs> it's difficult to uh, give a positive answer to that. I'm just trying to understand what on earth they think is going to happen. Maybe well, Chicago so far have played, uh, let me get the list of opponents they've played and results up so far. They've played Belgrano away on the opening weekend, that's obviously going to be a loss. Union at home, newly promoted side, but Union were one of the stronger newly promoted sides, and Chicago weren't, and they got a draw, creditable. A way to Arsenal, a draw. Okay, Arsenal have since done themselves to be a bit crap, but away from home, Arsenal have traditionally got a, home, a strong home record. Fair enough, a point's a creditable result there, near the start of the season. And then a home to Godoy Cruz, established Primera side, they lose, fair enough. Ditto away to Gimnasia. Gimnasia aren't having a great season, but they're still an established Primera side. And then at home to San Lorenzo, obviously they're going to lose San Lorenzo, are now top of the league a week later. And then a way draw to Argentinos is, okay, the performance was poor, but the result's not disastrous. I think firing him is, is ridiculous. Well, but the, the directives are, are, are being co coherent with what they think or what they are having been doing <coughs> the the. the Recently, as, as you said, with 10 matches per, per coach, they well they have to wait three more matches in order to complete that number of, of 10 matches. Yeah, and their next match is at home um, against the Barcelona of Southern Buenos Aires, uh, Banfield, Nicolás Almeida's Banfield, who, it has to be said, I've completely forgot to mention them when we were doing the roundups, so we're going to go back to the match roundups now and just mention that Banfield beat Huracan 1-0, and it should probably have been about 6-0, because... They had just so many chances. If they couldn't finish any of them, which is a great shame, but it looks at least as if the style that Almeida is trying to, to instill in this side, something's clicked. Because in the last couple of matches, I think they were they did they draw the week before and were quite unfortunate to, um, and now to only win one nil against Oracan. It's quite bizarre as well because Oracan the week before were involved in a very even match, which they won 4-0 against Argentinos, and have now been involved in a very one-sided match, which somehow they only lost 1-0. Um, so I suppose what goes around comes around, but Banfield, for me, um, are starting to, to look decent and surely they're going to beat Chicago on the weekend. They are winning the matches that uh, last tournament didn't, so they, they had a lot of, of, not of course, not 10 or 12 situations in a single match, but they had a lot of opportunities to score and they didn't, so and when they didn't score, uh, one thing... Uh, usually said is that when you don't score your goals in the other in your the, the your opponent's goal, then you concede the, the goals. And in this case, um, they are like turning that situation on their favor. They are they are scoring. In, in this case, it was only one, but they they are scoring and not conceding. 
so many goals. So they are adding to the the, the, the good style of play they had la last year. Uh, the, the, the 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 ability to win the matches. And bearing in mind that after four games they'd lost two, drawn one, and won one, and there were people saying is Matthias Almeida going to be on the job soon. Since then they've won three in a row. Um, home to a summer team away of course with two late goals to Estudiantes and then this one against Oracle and suddenly he looks much more secure so good luck to Bamford will be quite like them after this one against Flavor Chicago it has to be said it gets a little bit tastier for them the fixture list because they then have the Clásico del Sur um, at home to Lanús that is an actual Clásico by the way not just one of these AFA approved ones um, and then they're away to River at home to Independiente before they get another couple of easy games against Alba City and Belas so it's going to get intense for them in the next few weeks, in the next month or so, um, but good luck to them. And on that note, by the way, mentioning AFA-approved Classicos, does anybody know what Nueva Chicago's AFA-approved Classico was? Argentinos Juniors. Was it? <laughs> was the, uh, the, the Classico bragging rights going back in there. They'll be meeting again in the 24th round of games. It's not a Classico, just in case any of our new listeners um, are confused about this, the AFA have drawn some fixtures out of the hat um, to decide which reverse fixture will be played this season, and that is one of them. Um, now, I'm going to play some music, we shall refill some glasses, and when we come back, we will talk just a little bit about the national team, and then we will go into listeners' extended questions in this new format for Hand of Pod. So, don't go away. since we last recorded. Uh, one was in Washington, D.C. against El Salvador, and the other was against... Uh, hang on, sorry. One was in Washington, D.C. against the Isle of Man, according to um, the national anthems that were played. Uh, but it was actually El Salvador, and they were very confused when it happened. Um, and the other was in New Jersey against Ecuador. They were both victories. We apologise for the background noise. No idea what Peter's uh, neighbours are doing. Oh, yes, now, when you've not got... Earphones on so Oh, they hurt me because they're quietened down. Um, they're both wins, varying degrees of impressiveness in them, it must be said. But one of the reasons that uh, we mentioned that Independiente earlier were having to deal without Federico Manquecio was, of course, that he was involved in these fixtures. And not only that, but he did a Harry Kane in uh, one of them. Peter, you're the Independiente fan, you were following him every step. I think you had a camera trained especially on him, didn't you? And your yeah, I'm trying, trying to. Uh, tell us about Federico Manquecio's first two matches for Argentina. Uh, well, I mean, it, his call-up to some extent was a surprise, given that he's still playing in the, in the domestic league, but um, uh, he got his chance with about 20 minutes remaining against El Salvador, when Argentina already won up. Um, and he, other than his goal, he, he didn't really do that much. Uh, his goal was 
very typical of anyone who's watched Manquesha play for Independiente in the past in the past year. Uh, a free kick from sort of close, well, from a very acute angle, not not quite from the corner flag, but that doesn't that doesn't stop Manquesha going for goal. No. Um, and uh, even when he's playing for the national team, um, he did what he does for Independiente so often and, and curled it towards the, the far post and it dropped in. So. What made that, that goal more impressive even than it was was to watch the defender trying to to head the ball and re the, well, uh, being not able to reach it. Yes. Because he tried to... Yes, and ended up sprawling in the net. Yeah. Um, who do we think has the more promising international career ahead of them? Federico Manquesha or Harry Kane? I'm trying to work the Harry Kane angle here so that I can stick it in the headline and get several thousand listens this week. For the sake of this, as much as I'd like to say Manquesha... I'd probably have to, say, have to say Harry Kane, given that he's scoring a huge volume of goals for Tottenham in the Premier League and he's only 21 or whatever. And he's, and he's no doubt going to play a huge part in, in England's very near future. Man the jury is very much out on Manquesha. And it, it, this, it, it wouldn't come as a shock if this was his, this was his Argentinian career. You don't think he's going to be in the Copa America squad then? Well, I'm not, I'm not saying he won't be, but it wouldn't come as any surprise to anyone I think if if, he, if we didn't get named in the next squad and we didn't see him in an Argentina shirt again I mean that's going to depend on the next squad of course is effectively going to be the Copa America squad it's yeah. going to be the, the Copa America uh, I think what's to depend on Manquesha he's 26 now um, his birthday was actually over the, uh, the the national team break and we're going to I, I imagine we'll see him leave Independiente in the either in the in the, in the mid-season break in the Argentinian calendar. Where's he going? Turkey, well, Portugal, who knows? France. It's going to be somewhere like that, isn't it? Yeah, or, or sort Mexico. of mid-table La Liga team. Or I must say, trying to alienate about half of our listenership by suggesting their leagues are inferior here. That's not what we mean. I can't you see. It, I can't see him going to Mexico. No. I mean, obviously they do pay more than. In Argentina, I, I think if he was going to leave, it's going to be to one of the European leagues, maybe Italy, but not one of the top top teams. Mm. I, I must say that he serves a spot in the Copa America <coughs> final list, but of course we also must 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 say that he was able to score that magnificent goal because Messi wasn't playing. Because of course. Uh, when Messi is in, is, is, is in the, he's playing there, he, he takes every free kick. Yeah, Federico Manquesha is confident having a go from a free kick, but the level of confidence it would have taken to take the ball yeah. off Lionel Messi and push him out of the way and say, I'm taking this, is um, possibly slightly above even him. Um, Argentina, in general, against El Salvador, looked like they struggled to break them down. They were obviously El Salvador aside who were damaged in invitation, even after the first goal went in, they didn't particularly come out and try to get the equaliser, because, well, it's a friendly, they're not playing for anything, so why bother? Um, in the second match against Ecuador, they, they were better. Um, I'm trying to remember who, apart from Manquesha, scored the goals. The first goal for um, against El Salvador was from a long shot, which got heavily deflected. Yeah, Vaniga, and he was deflected by a defender. And then Manquesha mm -hmm. for 2-0. And then against Ecuador, it was Pastore got the second, and the first goal came from Aguero, of course, the header from the... Was it a corner or a free kick? Corner. A corner, yeah. It was corner. a flick on it. Yeah, both. Um, generally speaking, 
what did we learn? Of course, first match was not not good enough. The second one, as you said, against Ecuador was much better. Ecuador has a, an Argentinian coach, which is who is Gustavo Quinteros. There will be six Argentinian coaches in the Copa America, um, and it is great number. And I think that uh, I don't know if Quinteros told the Ecuador, Ecuadorian players to be strong on Argentinian players, but they were hard. They were like uh, going as if they there. As if it wasn't a, a, free, a friendly, mm. playing seriously, and in some cases they they were just in, uh, on the point of injuring some players. But um, I I think there were some confirmations in order of players that weren't sure in the in the in an an hypothetical list, which are in first, uh, for instance, uh, um, Matteo Musacchio who played the first uh, of the matches and were uh, quite good. Then Otamendi, who played the second one against Ecuador, and uh, Pastore, who scored the uh, second goal against Ecuador. I think it was a very, very good uh, performance for him. It was a very good performance yeah. for Pastore in particular. And I suppose... I, I didn't watch either of the England friends. No, hang on, I did. I watched the Italy one. Uh, half watched it. But I was mostly paying attention to the reaction on Twitter and, and um, a few people were getting exasperated and lots of other people sort of pointing out that what can Roy Hodgson really do, friendlies are to be experimented with because national team sides don't, national team managers don't get that much chance to, to play around with ideas in terms of the playing squad. Um, and really this, in a way, was, was a great chance for Argentina to do that, not just in general terms, but because Lionel Messi just had that doubt he's probably going to play when he gets back to Barcelona in the weekend, let's be honest, that they don't want to piss Barcelona off, they don't want to aggravate Messi's injury at all if it does turn out to be a bit more serious than, than they think. And so it's a good excuse to try a few things out and see how the team can function without Messi. And at least against Ecuador, um, the answer was that, okay, at that level of game, and at least in a friendly, it's maybe not such a, a tragedy, obviously, when he gets to the latter stages of a tournament, you want me and Messi to be involved. Um, but if Messi's not, would you say Pastor is going to be Messi's replacement? Is he going to be Di Maria's replacement? I would, I would, I, no, I would like to. I would like to see Pastore in that role, regarded with Messi. I mean, for me, Pastore, which is what excited me when I see the lineup, was Pastore had that opportunity to play century in in the sort of enganche position, and he had Mascherano and Biglia behind him enabled to do the kind of shielding job um, and then whether it's a 4-3-3 or he's in the centre of the four uh, of the two three in the centre of those three and then the one um, I think it's a good position for uh, for Pastore and either way Messi can either can be the, on the right hand side of the three or the three attackers or the three I, I heard that I heard that we, we had to expect also Gaetano or, or Lamela to be called up for for Copa America or at least in in a, a what would be a first thirty player list, which have to be showed in one month I think, and then uh, more near the, the the date of the starting of the Copa America, there will be cut a cut for twenty three players in and so seven players won't won't be in the final list, but at least 
one month uh, in one month time we we will have to to have a thirty-man list, and uh, I think that Darmo Gaetani, for example, more independently of the of the performance he's having right now, more I see him more talking about the position to the, to do things like Messi, of course, not uh, talking about potential or or the performance, but uh, because there is no specific player who can do the things that Messi does. Uh, to talk about only the, about the position, not uh, not performance. Indeed. And now away from the national team for a bit, because I'm sure we've got some questions about them, but we're going to ask some listeners questions. So, without any music or anything further ado, let's get into it. We have, and I'm trying to scroll down now to check that we've not been asked any since the last round. Let's go to email first, actually, because we've had one from David Ellingham. He writes to me on samadastelgolcmprint.com. Don't forget you can do that or via the contact form on the website, uh, which might be easier if you don't speak Spanish than writing my email address out. Um, he says, Hello, Sam. With regards to your recent request for feedback, I'd be interested in hearing a historical discussion on the show. You'll be getting one later. We haven't forgotten it yet. Don't worry, it's going to be after the questions. Um, he says, Despite Elenio Herrera... So there is some history in here, it has to be said. Uh, despite Elenio Herrera being born in Buenos Aires, I'm not aware of him playing for or managing an Argentine team. This being the case, how was he thought of in Argentina? Um, Elenio Herrera was born, uh, supposedly he always claimed, in an, an island in the middle of the Tigre Delta uh, to, I think it's a Moroccan father and a French mother or a French-Italian mother or something. Um, and he actually left Buenos Aires when he was about 10. So he's an Argentine by birth and by very early childhood, but he left at a very young age and never came back. So really, he's not especially Argentine, if I remember that correctly. I should really have checked with Esteban Beckham before um, doing this. But essentially, how's he thought of in Argentina? They claim him as Argentine when they mention him in the press in an historical article, um, but ultimately, he's not thought of in Argentina, really, I would say. I think that's fair. Um, David has another question. With Franco Vasquez this week making his debut for Italy, of course in the friendly against England, uh, who would you consider to be the best Argentine to play for the Italian national side? Well, it's got of, course, Seymour, hasn't it? of course it was Franco Vasquez's debut, so uh, there were a lot of uh, historical players which we, we should mention, for example, Stabile, which, who played for 1930? Oh, not enough stamina. Yeah, yes. I, I, I still think Seymour though. Yes, but uh, if you if you talk about actual players more to this time players, is Osvaldo could be one of them. <laughs> yes, we have mentioned him before, but as I say, I'm still going to push Seymour just just ahead of Osvaldo. Yes. I think he's a slightly or was a slightly better player. Admittedly, Osvaldo is probably better now, um, <laughs> but still, let's be sensible. Yeah. Talking about the players playing, having played in the last, I know, five or ten years. Yeah, and it's, it's a very legitimate question because the uh, Italy have won four World Cups, of course, 1934, 1938, uh, oh, God. 82. 82. I was going to say 90 then, and of course they didn't. Uh, 82, and 2006. I'm tripping over my words now. Um, and only 1982... That was the only World Cup win that they have, which did not involve an Argentine player, because of course Maro Camaranesi, as we often forget, 
uh, is a World Cup winner. It's very easy to forget when he was seen yes. in midfield kicking people um, for most of his career. Um, but you know, I, I'm not going to put Cameronese up there necessarily as, as the best in Argentine to play for Italy. Um, but he's another nomination, perhaps. Uh, JB asks, is but, this... Sorry, we must say that up to, I think it was up, up to 1970, Mexico World Cup, that players having already played by, on, on the national team could play for another one. Mm. For example, you wanted to play because you were uh, uh, playing for Milan, for example, and, and you had already played for Argentina, but you are playing in the uh, Serie A for Italy, and the coach at that moment for national team wanted you to play, you could. You could do it. And not like this time that you, for example, Franco Vázquez is not uh, uh, will, will not be available anymore for Argentina in case Martino would, uh, wanted to call him up because, of course, he has already played for, for Italy. But before, I think 1970, it was possible to do that. Yes, yeah, and in fact, there's, uh, it's, it's going to come up when we have a historical discussion as well, I think, potentially. Um, JB asks, is this Tevez Boca return real? The answer to that question is no. No more real than the supposed Falcao to River return, which was floated by River's vice president today. Clearly bollocks. Depends what you say by, by real. In terms I assume he means this year. I mean, that's yeah, not going okay. happen. At the end of Tevez's Juventus contract, yeah, quite possibly. There, there were media in Italy admitting that Carlos Tevez had everything arranged with Boca Juniors to go there in June, this year. This year? This year. We His contract runs to the middle of next year, yeah, right? Yes. So someone will have to pay for the missing contract. And of course, also were uh, some Italian players mentioned, because they are Osvaldo friends, which are, who are... Uh, they Andrea Pirlo it's, and... It's a waste of time to even mention these people. They're not going to come to Argentina. It's like David Beckham going to Bolivar. Um, JB also asks, what's the breakdown for the youth teams for clubs? How many divisions, i.e. youth levels, and what ages are involved? Um, Andres, you're Argentine, you've grown up with this kind of talk all your life. When we talk about the Quinta, the fifth team of Boca against River, what age are those kids, for instance? The Reserva is obviously open, the reserve side, and then what? Yes, the, the reserve is not uh, clear because they, they are... Can be a player already playing in the first division, and then yeah. he goes back to the first, to the reserve. Below that, you've got the second, third, 15, fourth, 16 thing. years old. I think it will be fifth or or, or fourteen. And it's, it's done in bands of one eight, one one year, right? Yes, so fifteen mostly. to sixteen is the fifth. Then the fourths are going to be sixteen to seventeen. More or less, going to be seventeen, eighteen. If if the player is going from from one division to another one with the normal. Uh, advance of, of well of his career would be yes 14 15 for for fifth division 16 17 for the fourth one fourth mm -hmm. division and perhaps 18 for for reserves but in this in some cases is, this is not respected because uh, we have Kunawera for example having and Saviola Javier Saviola having uh, making his debut at 16 in yeah. the first division and Aguero was 15, I think, wasn't he? Or 15, 16. Yes. after 16, because he broke Maradona's record as, as the youngest player ever to play in the Primera. But normally, yes. yes. But, um, yes. Oh, Liam asked me separately, apart from the podcast, um, how do you pronounce Lanus? 
him and his workmates have been having an argument over it, and at least from the phonetic spelling that he gave me, they've both been pronouncing it wrong. So here it is, Lanus. Andres, can you say it? You're the Argentine, you're the native speaker. Lanus. There we go. No sh sound, and the stress goes on the last syllable, and the a is short. La, not la. It's confusing because sometimes you say sh to shut up some someone. Oh yeah, some yes, and, and so sometimes they get called lanush by yes. people who don't support them and want yes. to pretend that their fans are quiet. Um, Darren Paul wants to know why our historical section is not going to be about Juan Sebastián Verón. <laughs> the answer to which is that he was still playing when Hand of Pod came out, and as you will see. Um, when we get round to the historical section, we're going to be concentrating on people who are long gone. Um, he also says, however, with some lovely kits this season, who has the best? Whose shirt do we like the best? I suppose we should say that me and Andres aren't allowed to say River and Peter's not allowed to say Independiente. Uh, I've got to be honest, I'm not really sure what Darren's getting. I don't think many of the kits are that nice. There are certainly some with a spectacular number of sponsors as I occasionally try and retweet from uh, Gustavo's Twitter because he tries to send me some of the more sponsor-heavy ones. Centrales, I suppose, is quite is the new Nike kit that they made a lot of fuss about at the start. He, uh, Darren says he's torn between Arsenal, Desarandi and San Lorenzo's kits. Both have really nice, but sharp ones. San Lorenzo and Central have the same one. Same yes. kits. Uh, they have the same sponsor, the same brand that provide them from, for t-shirts and shorts and which yeah, Lorenzo's like, new one is quite nice. But, I mean, yeah, I, I can't say there's been any that have leapt off the screen. There, I think there is no one, no one particular. particular. It's, it's difficult for me to judge in terms of leaping off the screen because my television is extremely low HD. The, the cable service that me and my girlfriend have got at the moment in our flat is dreadful. Once I've got DirecTV HD next season, that's me again, and I'll, I'll tell you. In the photos that you see when you're reading various online... Are there any kids that you thought? are always a good bet, but I, no, I, I like the colours. It's difficult to go wrong with red and black. Or but the, 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 the white or the alternative one are white with uh, black and red. Yeah, that's, mm. that's okay. I'm not mean, too far on white. If it's not, is um, Cristiano Ronaldo. Most, most of the newly <laughs> promoted sides are guilty of cycling shirt sponsorships. The Union, Union Alternative uh, also. The light, light, <coughs> dark with light blue <coughs> from Union is there when they are away also I think it's quite good, quite nice. Excuse me. I've had a cold which my I don't know how I've got this cold. My girlfriend caught it well, I do know how I've got it. My girlfriend caught it last week and then passed it on to me. I don't know how she caught it because it didn't get cold at any point. I'm very annoyed, but um it's I've just got a tail end of a sore throat. Hence the coughs you've had to listen to most of the evening. But this is the time in which you heard the, the flu and that, uh, because of the... Oh no, I'm going to call it flu. It's not flu. I've had flu before and it properly knocks you out. This is just a cold, but it's bloody annoying. Um, Darren also asked, what about Veron Senior? Well, Veron Senior, we might get onto in a future episode. Uh, Leo Russomano says, apparently, and this is something I wasn't aware that I did, um, Sam often bemoans the lack of quality football journalists in Argentina. I would like a worst five and why? Do I? Hmm? Yeah, five? Worst football journalist. Well, one. I'm, I'm going to offload this to Andres because he's likely to know more of the names than I am. I tend to just read the ones I like. and I mean, yeah, the, the commentators I frequently remind, but I don't know what they're called either. Um, 
Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of them, and well, it's, to choose five of them is it's very hard because uh, the ones who write for Olay on specific clubs, particularly yes. on the big five, and especially on Boca and River, well, they just be Boca and River fans and not make any you know attempt to well, hide that. That's now, one now, thing that does annoy me. Now that you mention Olay and that stuff, uh, that they have uh, they are, they have journalists that follow a, sing a single team and they are like supporters and, and journalists at the same time. Well, all of them for me are, 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 are the worst. And it's, it, the reason I find it irritating, I think, is that when I'm in Spain, for example, and I've not been for a few years, but I have cousins who are from Barcelona, so I've been a few times, you pick up Marca or ASA and you know that you're going to get Madrid centrism in, in the paper. You pick up Mundo Deportivo and you know that it's going to be a Barca paper. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you expect that. And within that remit, you have to read between the lines a bit. You have to read about, the, you know, why is this paper uh, is giving it, you know, hard at the moment to this president or this presidential candidate or whatever. Why is all this happening? And you can read about it. Olé is supposed to be. It's the only daily sports paper in Argentina. This is not a country where it's divided and where the media is split between River and Boca in quite the same way and played off against each other. Um, Olé is supposed to be the one, the standard bearer, and therefore, in my opinion, especially because they don't admit that they're a Boca paper or a River paper or a Racing or an Independiente or whatever paper, they, they should try and be just a bit more like a newspaper. <laughs> they should try and be more, more objective about it. Um, and that, that does irritate me. Um, that, that's why they have the, for example, I say section, which is... Yeah, but that's, that's different, because that, that's something that when you, when you read that, you know that you're reading a section written by a fan of that club. And it's also not just Bochum River they do it. I think they do it for each of the big five, certainly, and potentially for Huracan yes. and Vélez and a couple of the other Buenos Aires sites as well. Um, it's just this... The, the daily updates from, from the, the papers. When you've got stuff like the, the, the guy who's going to Bochum's training sessions and reporting on which players are injured and whatnot, calling the players by their nicknames rather than Daniel Diaz, El Cata, constantly. You're not best mates with him. Call him by his proper name. Yes. Does he like you calling him El Cata? He might punch you in the face if you call him that to his face. For all you know, you're not mates with him. Well, you shouldn't be mates with him if you're, if you're a journalist. Um, so, no, no, no particular journalists that, that I get especially irritated by. Certainly commentators, as we say, but as I've already mentioned, I don't really know um, most of the net, Especially there, now we've got 15 games a week. You don't know who, there is a, a particular... Uh, not a... Uh, Yes, commentator will say the, but not the one who plays, who who, who talks every uh, when the play is gone, but the one that uh, goes play by play commentator. Mm -hmm. There is one, for example, the Paoli who is constantly saying the players uh, where to play the ball, and that is also annoying because uh, yeah, and and when you have. Boca playing whoever or River playing whoever and you've got the commentators saying oh go on score this score this score this when it's Boca or River throw on goal and when the opponents are there and you can almost hear them going no 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 don't, don't, don't do that it's you know not everybody watching the game is supporting that okay in Boca and River's case more often than not they probably are supporting that club but that doesn't mean it's not kind of insulting to, to the neutrals yes, and the fans of the other team the common thing as well that pisses me off is when, when they regardless of the team they already start commentating on the goal before like the player goes the pass goes through so the player's through on goal and they begin to say goal 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 oh 
But the, whoever the guy is who does Bokkas has a habit of saying Locanto, Locanto, Locanto. I'm, no, I'm no, saying it, I'm saying it, I'm saying it, I'm saying it like it's going to be a goal, and, and, and then inevitably they don't score when he starts saying it. Uh, anyway, Tom Robinson says, Has Daniel Thomas come in past the Burro Osvaldo? That's take, eat, eat, grasp, donkey. Osvaldo become the biggest termo in the Primera. Who else is rivaling him? To which I responded from the hand of Podicals, What do you mean become? And he says, Okay, well, has he taken the crown? Undoubtedly, from the moment he landed. Let's not forget this is the man who got off the plane with a t shirt with five fingers held up a couple of days the, after the that, five past river in a pre season friendly. The problem is that he, he looks that he has guts because he's Danilo Osvaldo, but then he complains with the referee when Damonte elbows him and he has a mark there and he says, Look, look what, has, what he has done to me. And well, they, he's not very man like. Uh, Actually, my problem. If somebody elbowed me on a football pitch and there was a referee there, I would show the referee as well and say, I'm going to book. Osvaldo continued to do it for about 10 minutes afterwards after it became perfectly apparent that he's not going to get anything from it. Um, but no, I don't think that there's any anybody even close. But when, when Boca... Teo Gutierrez has been completely blown out of the water by Osvaldo. Now, now he's a bit more at ease and, and, and Osvaldo looks to, to take the place that Teo Gutierrez had before, but when 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 Osvaldo came to Boca, we all knew how, how he was, how he was his personality, and why he was released from Inter, the Milan, yeah. because of his of his uh, behavior, his personality. So now it's no surprise that he will provoke uh, rivals or, or or the opponents will will try to 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 look for him and and, and try to <coughs> because he, he they know how he is. I think uh, Daniel Osvaldo may be um, what Teo Gutierrez would be like had he been successful. <laughs> had any success at all. <laughs> in, yeah, when he went, well, he went to Turkey, didn't he? Teo? Yeah. Yes, he played for, I can't remember which Turkish team, but yeah. Yeah, he was in Turkey. And at least Osvaldo, I suppose, has, has, has had some success, albeit with about 10 different teams. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, like, very momentary, like glimpses of brilliance like, yeah. and then showed himself to be a complete Nine teams, I think, Atalanta, Leche, Bologna, Espanyol, Juventus, Inter, Fiorentina. Southampton, Fiorentina, uh, and no, no, having Roma, Rome, having not stayed for more than one year in each club. No. One, one year is worth the most, the, 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 more, uh, the longest amount yeah, of time he's stayed with anyone, yeah. Um, Toby Millard says, who do you guys think will be the first choice starting 11 going into the Copa America? Let's do this quickly, shall we? Romero in goal. The back five, I think, picks itself. Romero in goal. Sabaleta, right back. Garay and, well, okay. Does it pick itself? Is Demi Chavis the second centre-back? No, Chavis is first one. I think Otamendi will be the one that played against. Otamendi, okay. And Rocco at left-back, yeah. Mascherano's going to be one midfielder. I think it's Mascherano or Biglia. Biglia, yes. Biglia was... We'll see Perez was injured for this squad. Yes. But Pastore was probably the one player that came out of these two friendlies with a big plus. So, so Pastore, Perez, Di Maria. He's got to yeah, pick the, it up a bit. In the the only thing season. I'd say about Di Maria and the difference between Sabella and Martino is Sabella viewed Di Maria as one of those three midfield players. And Martino seems to be a bit more conservative and think he's not one of my three midfield players, he's one of the three attackers. And sure. I think Di Maria will line up as the three as the left sided 
So the big question then is the front three. Which I think will be Di Maria, Di Maria. Aguero is the number nine, yeah. and Messi is the, on the right. I would agree with that. And fine, and Tony also then says, is it the same 11 that you would choose? The back four, I'm, I'm, I'll be relatively happy. I mean, I think Romero keeps his place in goal. The back four that you mentioned, I'd be relatively happy with. Sabaleta, Garay, Otamendi, and Rojo. Mascherano, obviously, is yeah. I think, the midfield, if it needs to be. But I think Bigley has played himself into that partner yeah. role for him. I, I think, basically, there would be... Question marks of the, of the 11... Given Di Maria's club form and given that little bit of a debate over who should be the third midfielder, mm-hmm. maybe even bigger, you've got, let's say, eight players, maybe nine, who really are not disputed in, in the starting 11. What do you think, Andres? Yes, it's, I think there are four or five players that are, well, yes, it's, what is incredible, I think, is that the defence is more or less sure that we know the players that will be in the starting lineup and not we are not so sure about the, the, the attacking side because if Di, Mar- Di Maria well we have to see how how he plays at, at Manchester United but uh, we know we think that he will he will be in the starting lineup with uh, Macherano, Biglia, Di Maria, then well Messi we don't know Messi what what, what was Messi's problem with the with the, his his foot because he wanted to put his uh, boots on and he couldn't he was very painful. Somebody tweeted what they claimed was a photograph of Messi's right foot earlier today and it appeared to have a bunion, which is a bit weird. I don't know what bunion is in Spanish, Andres, so I can't. Um, but yeah, I mean it was like a lump sticking up the side of it, which is a bit odd. Whether he's got to have it shaved off like my mother did a few years ago. Uh, and then was in a plastic cast for about two months afterwards. I don't know. Um, but by and large, yeah, something approximating that 11 is probably what we'll go for. Daniel Chavez does not ask very many questions on Handapop, but when he does, he likes to make them interesting ones. And he's gone with the distinctly left field uh, question of how is Kevin Mercado doing at Godoy Cruz? He seems to be playing more of an impact from what the last. He's, he's made four appearances. He, he came on the me against. Uh, not against. He came on against Independiente. Yeah. I think he actually won the penalty. Did he? Possibly. Oh, he, he did. did? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And he scored in the, the previous couple of weeks on the break, was fed by Ashafi and, and, and scored. And that's my, my sort of me noticing him playing. So I couldn't say, like, oh, he's, he's tearing it up, tearing it up. But, um, but he's having an impact in yeah, some he is way. An impact. But uh, it seems to be from the bench. Every time I've seen him, he, he seems to come up with 20 minutes to go. Yes. That's as much as I've noticed after, aren't it? Uh, Chris Murtagh says, Who has your surprise package of the season been so far? I've been impressed with Belgrano myself because I thought that without Julio Ferch they would struggle. Who's ours been, gents? Yeah, well, Belgrano are a fairly decent pick when you look at the league table. <laughs> surprisingly, see them up there, but then. I'm Level with Banfield. So I'm with Banfield, yeah. yeah. They were one, one position above Belgrano, but on, I mean, basically they've got exactly the same record. Four wins, one draw, two losses, ten goals scored, six goals conceded. 
they've both got 13 points, fifth, let's say joint fifth, since they're, they're not separated on anything but, uh, but alphabetical order at the moment. Um, I think yeah. the last two weekends have perhaps clouded our collective judgments, but I would still group oh, Central. Central in there. Yes, you're quite right, yeah. They, let's not forget they won first, the first five on the bounce, including away at Rassi on the first weekend, and we're still looking at them third in the league, so that's not what we would expect. I think those three sides are the surprise packages, and, if, and I don't know about anyone else, personally see those three probably dropping down slightly and then you end up with um, the big five basically being the top five yeah. and with Lanus. We will now play some music and when we come back we will introduce a new section for Hand of Pod. It's the history section um, and the voice that you're going to hear is not mine to reintroduce this but it's going to be Peter's because he's prepared an ode um, to slightly <laughs> uh, over egg and pudding, I think. Possibly. Don't, don't do yourself down, I'm sure it's beautifully poetic. Um, to, to, to a player that, well, that you'll have heard of if you know about Argentine football history, and indeed if you've listened to every single episode of Hand the Pod, because we've mentioned him at some point, um, but who, about whom we haven't spoken an awful lot. So here is some music, and uh, Peter's going to start talking in a second. Subject of this week's uh, the, the first um, Arge- uh, hand pod Argentine football history person. I've got to think of a snappier title. <laughs> well, even despite not having a snappy title, I just want to say it's a great honour to be leading this. Um, so I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Um, this week um, marked quite a significant, made the choice quite simple, I guess, for, for this week's. Um, historical section. On on Monday, the 30th of March, was 100 years since the birth of um, Arsenio Erico, um, who was the leading scorer in the Argentine Primera, uh, an Independiente club legend, um, inspiration to many footballing icons and spoken very favourably of people like Alfredo Stefano um, and his well regarded as the greatest Paraguayan footballer. Um, in 1915, uh, Erico was, was born in Asuncion uh, and at the age of 15 made his debut for Club Nacional. Um, and like many y- young men in Paraguay at the time, looked like his career maybe. Uh, well, could have, could have been potentially ended by the the Chaco War at the time between between Paraguay and Bolivia. Um, he was enlisted to go and fight in this, and reportedly recognised by one of the commanders as one of the Nacional players, and as a result was enlisted into the uh, Paraguayan Red Cross football team. Um, the Red Cross football team was made up of like Erico, 
footballers from Paraguay um, and they were basically sent to tour Uruguay and Argentina um, to raise funds for the wounded and for, and for, the, for the war effort and it was on this tour plane for the Red Cross that Erico came to, to the attention of Argentine clubs particularly. Um, whilst playing on this tour against the, the top teams of Uruguay and Argentina, um, River Plate were apparently the first side to try and sign Erico, um, and for, for some for whatever reason that move didn't come to fruition. And ultimately, Independiente were so keen on signing Erico they actually struck their deal whilst in the dressing room of Boca Juniors. Uh, <laughs> The Paraguay military tried to block this move and made sounds that Erico would be a deserter to, to leave the Red Cross team to sign for Independiente, but um, ultimately the fact that Independiente were willing to pay 12,000 pesos. Um, That's not the modern peso, by the way. They've, <laughs> they've changed the currency a fair few times. But at the time, with still a huge amount of money, obviously swayed the Paraguay military. Um, and also uh, Erico donated his signing on salary to, to the cause as well so um, he signed for Independiente then in uh, 1934 I think um, so that's at the age of 19, 19 at the age of 19 yeah um, and, and was almost an, an instant hit really in, in Avicenela. Um a great goal scorer uh, and the, the, the thing that seems to leap out from everything you read about Erico is his, his heading ability uh, and his, his ability to sort of out jump goalkeepers and this kind of thing and he had this nickname of the, the red jumper um, the, these first few seasons of Independiente were hindered by injury I think he had a a broken leg um, and some sort of infection which actually limited his appearances but still scored a, a huge number of goals and it wasn't until 1937 when Erico I think scored 48 goals in in one season and then the following season scored 43 goals and in 37 and 38 Independiente won back-to-back -back titles and this this team these these two years are considered some of the strongest club sides that have been produced in an era which was obviously pre-continental competition um, and is hugely uh, influential at a team like that. Um, over the coming years uh, Erico continued to score a huge amount of goals for Independiente and actually at the same time as being part of this influential Independiente team um, Argentina tried to uh, get Erico to, to play for Argentina and offered him by all reports quite a substantial amount of money to do so I think in, in the lead up to the 1938 World Cup um, but Erico sort of refused any, any call up to Argentina and remained a Proud Paraguayan, and, and I think in many ways this stance actually made him even more appealing to not just 
people back in Paraguay, but also to to Argentines who I think respected his his stance on that. Um, so over the coming seasons, he went on to score the record amount of goals in the Primera, 295 in 325 appearances for Independiente, which was including three league titles. Um, and although there was a, a very, very short stint at Huracan at the end of his career, he, he essentially retired um, when he left Independiente and remained in, in Buenos Aires until he died in 1977. Um, he was then finally buried in, in Moron, which is just outside Buenos Aires. Um, and I think what is a real symbol of how his, his influence in both Argentina and Paraguay um, was actually discussion between the governments of the two countries in 2010 to see his body actually moved from Moron back to Paraguay. Um, and, I, and I understand his body is now uh, back in Asuncion in some sort of museum and wow. at the Stadio Defensores del Chaco in Asuncion. I did not know that. I knew it better than wrong. Yeah. I've just looked up because I, I was slightly disappointed that you mentioned the uh, being offered money to play for Argentina and turning it down because I was hoping to mention it myself. Um, and I just, while you were talking, looked up the exact amount. At a time when a brand new state-of-the-art automobile cost 5,000 pesos, the Argentine FA offered him 200,000 pesos uh, to play for Argentina. So this is a player that was thought of seriously highly in the late 1930s. And again, we repeat, this is not the modern Argentine peso. The peso actually was worth something <laughs> at this point in time. Um, Andres, you're Argentine. When we have history sections, this is probably going to become a familiar refrain. Did your dad or your granddad or anybody ever mention Enrico to you? I mean, you're not an independiente supporting fans. Yes, supporting independent fans, it's uh, one of the of the most uh, important legends in history having scored so, so many goals, even though there, there was a controversy between the number of goals, about the number of goals he had finally scored you will, you will say, well, it's two goals difference, but some say that he scored 293 not 295 It's an important distinction because, of course River's all-time top scorer Oh God, is it La Bruna? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I heard La Bruna. I was going to say Omar La Bruna for a second, and then of course it wasn't because that's the guy who's just been sacked as the Chicago manager. Um, Angel La Bruna scored 293 goals himself, and there's an independent historian who says that Enrico scored 295 because one or two of them were given his own goals at the time and then rearranged or whatever. Um, but basically, Enrico is, is pretty much universally recognised by anybody who's not a River fan um, as the all-time top scorer for Argentina's. First division. Peter, when you were researching this, did you come across anything in particular that you didn't already know? And uh, I mean, you're an independiente fan. What's the point? You're an independiente fan because your girlfriend's from a big independiente supporting family. No, well, that isn't the reason. Is, is it not? <laughs> no. No, she. Well, no, no. Well, we won't go into Okay. There is another one player that he. Well, I, I am giving him a homework perhaps, but uh, about Ricardo Bocchini or, or Bocchini. Yeah. Also, another very, very heavy character on independent history. Yeah, of course. Yes. I mean, it's certainly in terms of titles won, Bocchini, Bocchini perhaps is, 
it's more associated with the, the sort of glory of Independiente, whereas Edgo is either. In those terms, Bocchini kind of Bocchini had the fortune to be playing for Independiente at the time when the Copa Libertadores exactly. existed. Yeah, that's no, that, well, that's exactly what I mean. I mean, that's why. I, I, well, I mean, there's a, there's obviously a romance with Bocchini playing his <coughs> his entire career at one club as well, I mean, which is so rare. Um, and but but the main thing, like you say, is the fact that he played in an era when the Libertadores was there and won all those titles. But no, I mean, Erico, when the more you, the more you read about him, and the comments that people say about him, incredible, incredible football. Among one of those comments is what we shall close this brief section on, and it's a quote, the most famous quote about him from Alfredo Di Stefano, who said, Enrico is different from everybody to anybody I've ever seen, a notable player. Uh, and I'm translating this on the fly, by the way, I'm in the middle of reading the quote, in case anyone comes across slightly uh, done up. Um, whatever you want to, to say without exaggeration, all five letters of the word crack, which is Spanish for great player, um, oh God! How would you translate Malabri? Oh, I read this as Malabarista. Like a juggler, juggler. Thank you. That's yeah. Brain father. Um, for me, he was a juggler, a circus juggler, an artist. Sorry, a great artist. That's Alfredo Di Stefano on Arsenio Enrico. And now, having recorded for frankly slightly longer than we were expecting to, you will hear Mystic Sounds theme music. And Mystic Sam's predictions after a rather unsuccessful week, it must be said, last time round. Here we go then. Last week, Mystic Sam managed the spectacular result of two correct predictions out of 14 matches, because the Arsenal versus. Aldo CB1 is not, of course, finished yet. Just out of interest, what were you going for in Aldo CB1, isn't it? I can't remember. I think it might have been a draw, but I'm not sure. Um, hopefully, he can do slightly better, or I can do slightly better this weekend. Here we go. San Miento versus Belgrano is going to be a Belgrano victory. Estudiantes de la Plata versus Racing is going to be a draw. Vélez Sarsfield versus Arsenal de Sarandí is going to be a draw as well. Uh, Atletico de Rafaela versus Temperley, I think is a draw, but the most likely one for that one is low goals. Because both of them have been involved in some quite low scoring games recently. Defensa y Justicia against Rosario Central, I think will be a Rosario Central win. Independiente versus Gimnasia La Plata is going to be an Independiente win. And lots and lots of goals in that one, because neither of them can defend. Aldo Civi versus Godoy Cruz. Um, I want to go for an Aldo City victory. In my Plata. Long away trip for Godoy Cruz, and they're pretty shit away, so. Uh, Lanús versus Argentinos Juniors is a Lanús win. How many league matches has it been since Lanús last lost at home? You all know? 21 league games unbeaten at home. Something like 18 wins and 3 draws. It's a ridiculous record they've got at the moment. Uh, Colón de Santa Fe versus Olimpo is going to be a Colón win, probably 1-0, don't bother watching it if you're expecting lots of goals. Quilmes against Crucero del Norte is going to be a Quilmes win. River Plate versus San Lorenzo, 4th versus 1st, is going to be a draw. 
San Martin de San Juan against Tigre is going to be a draw as well. Huracan versus Boca Juniors is going to be a Boca Juniors win. It will be the first match, domestic match, that Huracan have lost at home if it does turn out to be that way. And um, uh, I'm trying to avoid mentioning that, but yes, if Daniel Svaldo's return to Huracan, um, you're quite right. Nueva Chicago against Banfield is going to be a Banfield victory. Chicago have got basically the worst defence in the Primera, and Banfield have got one of the best attacks. Um, and Newell's Old Boys versus Union de Santa Fe is going to be yet another draw in an Union match. It will be their sixth in eight games. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it will be. Um, gentlemen, any arguments with any of them? Well, Newell's will have Maxi Rodriguez back. Uh, I, I don't know, I'm not so sure if he will be able to play because when he, he went to, to uh, with the national Argentina national team but he wasn't able to play because of some, some problems with uh, one of the legs I think but uh, even, even with Maxi Rodriguez being able to play I, I will bet on, on a Union victory Brave decision, Andres. When it happens, I'm not going to remind you you said it, but if it doesn't happen, I will. Um, Peter? Confident with independent test chances this week? No. <laughs> confident of your, Playing gymnasia, confident I mean. of your assessment that um, there'll be goals, but um, gymnasia actually derailed Independiente's um, title hopes in the Dencion with a Well they have Fernando Monetti in goal now. That's true, with it all got San Lorenzo ladies and gents have just scored after being basically rubbish for the entire match. They've just been slinging crosses in when nobody was winning them. Uh, they've just gone one nil up in the seventy first minute. Calterucci if I am not wrong. Was it? It looks like him, doesn't it? I apologise for the silence. It's not the best uh, point to be silent. Oh, that's a really nice flick and then finish. Blimey, yeah. And it was indeed counter, would you? Continue to talk, Peter, please, while I talk. Um, yeah, so that, for that reason, I'm, I'm not entirely confident. Um, we'll see. I mean... Certainly I'll be more confident if uh, my Quasha arrives back from the USA with a clean bill of health. If he doesn't, then I'm worried. It's basically going to be who outscores the other. Yeah. Um, in that game, I think. Um, yeah, Andres... just don't concede a penalty this week. <laughs> well, there's a 50-50 chance going on the average <laughs> you've done so far. Uh, Andres, River against San Lorenzo, how confident are you? River expected to play with a few subs because of course they've got a, a must-win yes. game with their own next week. Will, will be, I think it will be a very relaxed match because San Lorenzo is playing right now uh, against San Pablo. River will, will do it next week. So none of them, I think, will have their entire uh, main or starting lineup team as if they weren't they, they had uh, uh, Copa Libertadores matches, so I think it would be a, a draw also. Indeed. We shall see anyway. Uh, on that note, ladies and gents, we shall uh, bid you all farewell. We apologise for a longer than usual episode, but the desire, first of all, to get the history 
section started and also the fact of course that Argentina had an away game and then we had a bit of violence and other stuff to talk about as well as just the football this week just for a change um, meant that Hannah Pod has run over again just for a change because that never normally happens does it um, thank you very much for listening to us please continue to recommend us to your friends please continue to follow us on Twitter at Hand of Pod um, and uh, thank you very much uh, to our sponsors the Argentina Independent who pay for our fernet and also provide an excellent source of English language news and current affairs from Argentina and across Latin America um, go and visit them free of charge they don't cost anything at all to read on argentinaindependent.com and for now ladies and gentlemen it is thank you very much uh, to Andres thank you goodbye thank you to and indeed from and goodbye from Peter thank you goodbye and the same from me goodbye goodbye